You know, Judges 2 and 10 is a verse that always just sticks with me, and it's something that has been just, I believe, just permanently imprinted on my heart. I think about that verse often. There's no joke, probably not a week that goes by that I don't think about the idea of Judges 2 and 10, which basically says that when Joshua and all of that generation, when they died, when they were laid to rest, says that there rose a generation after that that didn't know the Lord. And I just, man, it just bothers me so much when I hear that. And I think about that often because of the bold declarations that that generation had. You know, you had the whole famous Joshua 24, 15, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You have this bold declaration. You have a generation of people that witness the hand of God moving on their behalf. You have a generation of people who saw that man, manna falling from heaven in the morning, the provision of God. You have people that were there when the walls of Jericho fell, when you see the Jordan River rolled up to one side so they could walk across as the priest stood on the ground holding the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, just miracle after miracle, military victory after military victory, and see how God was faithful. And then you see in Scripture in Judges 2 and 10, after all those people that experienced all those incredible miracles, a generation rose up after them that didn't know the Lord? Man, that grieves me when I think about that. And when I think about that, man, I, I, I think about the amazing promises of God that these people saw fulfilled. And how when that great generation was gone, the next generation was just left in this kind of, we don't care, we've rejected God type mentality. We ask questions that the Bible doesn't answer about this story. And this is frustrating um, when I look at the scripture, because I want to know, like I'm like you, I want to know. And there's just some things the Bible just doesn't give us answers for. And I have to be okay with not fully knowing. So I can kind of guess, I can guesstimate, hypothesize about what happened, why that verse says what it says, what happened to get them from that point, you know, to that disregard for the things of God. Man, I don't really know what happened. But what I do know is that when I read that verse, it creates an urgency in me. It creates an urgency in me to build bridges that are going to connect people to Christ that are going to last beyond our lifetime. Here at BCC, you hear us say all the time, what God's called us to do, it's bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than Bettendorf, and it's beyond our lifetime. And when we say it's beyond our lifetime, this is what we mean, because it's not just going to happen because we say it. It's not going to happen just because we print it on a coffee cup or a t-shirt. It's not going to happen just because we get excited about it when we hear it. No, we have to be intentional because it isn't just going to happen. But then we have to ask a question like, man, where do we start? So let's start with Scripture. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And so we're just going to kind of hang out in 2 Peter today so you can get real, real comfortable once you find it. And I hope that you can find it. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, before we read this text, I'll give you just a little bit of what's going on so you can put your mind kind of in the context of what's happening, why Peter's writing this. Peter's writing this letter to the church of his day that is under a uh, just uh, Roman emperor worship to where the emperor has been deified. So basically, to pledge your allegiance to the emperor is basically to say the emperor is God. 
and he is the supreme God that has been anointed to do whatever his will is. And so there's sacrifices to honor the emperor. There's feasts to honor the emperor. There's all sorts of worship that's required of you to honor the emperor. And to not honor the emperor would be very severely punished based on how you uh, were offending the emperor and not worshiping him. And so you've got Christians living in this culture to where you can't go into the marketplace unless you grab some incense and you throw some incense up in the air and you say, praise be to the emperor, you know, or, or long live the emperor. And then once you grab that incense as a sign of worship, then you're allowed to enter even into the marketplace. So these people couldn't even go shopping unless they did that. So this puts the Christian in a predicament because the Christian goes, I don't think this guy's God, but I got to feed my family. What do I do? And the Christian's wondering, how do I live under this persecution? How do I live under this type of pressure? Because I still have to take care of myself. And, and people have lost jobs over their stance for Christ. People have now begun starting to get arrested and some flogged. Some of them even put to death over following Jesus. And so Peter writes this letter to the church that's experiencing all of those kinds of things. So that's who he's writing to. And so with that in mind, let's read um, through verse 15 of Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, uh, and of Jesus our Lord. I want to just stop right there because I just saw something. He said, you've you as Christians, you as the church that I'm writing to, he said, you guys have obtained a faith of equal standing of ours. So what he's telling them is, listen, what you're going through and what I'm about to write to you, it applies to me just as much as it applies to you. He's not saying that we are experiencing this higher level of faith, and so because we're uh, so far above you, then that's why our lives may look a little different than yours and why maybe you may be struggling. No, he's saying, no, this is an equal standing. Christ has put us all on the same playing field. You have to understand that the only people that make superstars out of Christians is us. Because in God's eyes, there are no superstars in Christianity. We're the only ones who develop that type of idolatry out of leaders, preachers, authors, and it's not right when we do that. We're elevating people up to a standard that God doesn't elevate them to. We're elevating them up to the celebrity status, and God doesn't do that. God looks at all of us the same because we're either lost or we're found. <laughs> we're, either, we're either lost and we're still in bondage or we have been forgiven and set free because we've received Christ's free gift. There's no Christians with gold stars by their name in heaven. Um, so just understand, Peter is recognizing that and saying, guys, Christ and his righteousness has put us in equal standing in the eyes of God, not anything that we've done. And he says, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So a few observations from this text something that maybe you just picked up on as we read through it was that peter is near death and he knows it he knows he said the putting off of my body is is near and he's not surprised by this because he says jesus told me this was coming and if you remember we've talked about this several times over the past few weeks over in the book of john where jesus appears to the disciples and they're like having this fish breakfast Uh, right and they're like eating and jesus has already uh uh, uh, risen from the grave and they're just talking to him and jesus asked peter peter do you love me more than this and he said yes lord you know i love you he says okay well then feed my lambs he said do you love me more than this he says yes lord of course i do he said feed my sheep and then he asks him the third time do you love me he says yes lord you know all things you know that i love you he says okay well feed my sheep he said when you were younger you went where you wanted to go But when you get older, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. This was signifying the death that he was going to die. Church history says that Peter died on a cross being crucified upside down by his own request because he did not count himself worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus. And so Peter knows that that's coming soon. And he knows that Jesus talked to him about it. And so this letter then is being written with a sense of urgency and with the intent of a last will and testament. He's writing with that degree of weightiness and severity. He's understanding this could be the last thing I ever have the opportunity to communicate to the church. And so as we read this, man, it kind of raises and amplifies the intensity of that knowing this is someone's last will. Like, I want you to understand these things. Something else we observe is that he is reiterating something that he's already taught. He's already reiterating something that maybe the reason that he is reiterating this is because he's wanting to emphasize the importance and maybe also there's a lot of people who are still struggling walking in obedience to these things. And he's saying, guys, I want to encourage you by way of reminder I'm reminding you of these things because I'm wanting to reemphasize them. And I'm also wanting you to know, hey, if you're not walking in obedience to these things, man, start walking in obedience to these things. We can't play around with this. There's an intensity behind it. And then there's some serious growth that needs to happen. 
that Peter wants to continue beyond his lifetime. And so he's telling them, he's saying, even when I'm gone, I'm going to be able to continually remind you of this because now I've written it down. So it's like you just got me on repeat over and over again, and you can reread my words even after I'm gone. So Peter is thinking beyond his lifetime, and he's wanting this message to be continued, to be shared. Because you have to understand that God has given us everything we need to live a life that glorifies and honors him. He's given you and I everything we need to live that life that glorifies and honor him. In verse 3 and 4, he says, we are partakers of his divine nature. So what that does is that removes the excuses of us not having what we need to be able to live the life that God wants us to live to glorify him. So many of us want to make excuses, but yet we see in verse 3 and 4 says, he's given you all power has been granted to you that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory, to his own excellence. And so we have the scripture, we have the word, we have the indwelling of the spirit of God on the inside of us. He's given us the things that we need to walk in victory. He's given us the things that we need to be able to glorify God by the way that we live in a culture that is dominated by things that are anti-Christ. He's given us everything that we need to know how to love people right where they're at, to be able to love one another, to be able to navigate the challenges of any day because he has given us those things. We are partakers of that. So we are called to grow in Christ because of that. Because we have what we need, he is calling us to grow in Christ because we need to understand and rely on him and trust and obey his truth. We depend way too much on external things to influence the next generation and we depend too little on the power of God. We depend too much on external things and even listen to me. I want you to hear my heart today that we depend on external things that are good but we depend on them in place of often the power of God because we try to use external things that are even good and even can be God honoring to try to control outcomes and we do that by cranking the volume up as loud as we can or saturating our lives and other people's lives with things that have a form of godliness but don't really have any power things that can be good man and 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 I don't want you to think I'm criticizing these things because I'm not these things can be good but when they become something that's not good when they become idolatrous is when we depend on those things instead of the power of God instead of when we depend on the Word of God because we think dropping our kids off at church is going to save them and church is good I'm pro-church by the way (laughs) I am I'm pro-church But sometimes we think that the church is going to fix our kids and we're just going to drop them off there. And that's saying, oh, I'm I'm, I'm not trusting in the power of God. I'm just trusting in someone else to do something I feel like I'm not equipped to do. We do the same thing with Christian schools. I'm pro-Christian school. I'm not against that. People drop their kids off at Christian school thinking this is going to saturate them more and, and put them in that environment. They do the same thing with Christian camps, Christian music, Christian media, playing in Christian sports leagues. If I do everything and it has the, the, the label Christian on it, then I'm going to be able to control the outcome of this child's life. And it doesn't always work that way, does it? 
because there's something missing. You see, we can always try to surround ourselves. You can play VeggieTales 24-7 in your house, <laughs> but that doesn't mean your kid is going to follow Jesus just because they like to talk to tomatoes and squash make them <laughs> smile. That's great. Just because you, you, you saturate them. Listen, just saturating someone in the environment of things that have the form of godliness does not mean that those things have the power. We have to understand that the power comes from the Word of God. The power comes from the Spirit of God. And we need to make sure that we are depending and relying on God and not something external that just creates a safety in us because we've somehow immersed ourselves in a subculture that makes us feel comfortable. Because there is a world that is very not comfortable that we are called to live in. There are challenges that are very much not comfortable. And if we only ever insulate, and if we depend on that insulation and we're not depending on God, then we are missing the point. And we're trying to control something. And we're trying to think, oh, we're doing a good job impacting and influencing the next generation. And my friend, can I tell you, with great warning, we may actually be doing the opposite. Because we think we're accomplishing something because look at all the things I've, I've connected the next generation to. But have we shown them how the power of God is transforming our lives? Have we taught them how a dependence on God will transform them? Have we taught them the value of prayer and reliance upon him? Have we showed them the value of living a Christian life, being holy, be, being set apart? Have we shown them the value of that? Have we shown them what it means to stand for your faith? Have we shown them what it means to go to the word of God in the middle of trial? Have we shown them what it means to run to prayer when we have things happen in our lives that are beyond our control? Have we shown them consistency or just have we relied on external things to do it for us? What are we showing? What are we impacting the next generation with? Because all these things are good, man, but these things don't have the power in and of themselves. The only thing that has the power to transform a heart is the divine nature of God that can only be received through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only through the gospel and it is only through faith by faith alone, in what Christ has done. Because unless a person hears and responds to the gospel, their heart will not change. You can hit them over the head with the heaviest Bible you can find. You can, you can, you can do all of that stuff because only the gospel, only someone hearing it and responding to it can bring heart change. And yes, it's important that we try to make sure the environment is conducive to doing that. We want to make sure that our environment is healthy. But I am not just depending on the environment. I'm depending on the power of God. I'm depending on Him to do what I can't do because if I'm trying to use all these external things, I'm trying to control it. So, we're, so it's not... Uh, hear me. I just want to be clear because I don't want you to be confused. None of those things in and of themselves are bad. None of themselves in and of, them things, uh, in and of themselves are wrong. But are we putting our hope in the fact that we're doing those things? Or are we putting our hope in Christ alone? Because those things can be used in a way that can honor God. Yes, very much so. Because uh, I'm for those things. But at the same time, am I still ultimately trusting in God or am I just trusting in those things? 
because the intent is good and those things are not bad things and those things are good they can be good for sure but my question today is who are we trusting in to influence the heart of the next generation are we simply trying to create a system of behavior modification through our own control where as long as someone just behaves a certain way and meets a certain standard of behaviors that we would hope them to either both avoid or emulate that we think that they have somehow been transformed by the power of God just because they are behaving a certain way listen there's gonna be a lot of good people who have done good things that we would classify and call good through our own uh, our own definitions that are going to live in eternity, eternity separated from God. Scripture makes that very clear. Jesus said there's going to be people in that day that said, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and this and this and this? Didn't I go through this and this and this? I, I mean, I, and Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Man, if that doesn't bring a fear of God in us, man, I, I, don't, I don't know where to start with you. Because the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of him is, is understanding. And, and, and I want to I know him. I want to make sure that I know him and I'm known by him. And the only way that can happen is through me hearing and responding to the gospel by faith. And I never stop deepening my dependence. I never stop crying out with my need to him because I never stop needing Jesus. You see, we must spend less time trying to control outcomes and more time pursuing God. We must spend way more time pursuing Him because so often where the majority and the bulk of our energy goes is in trying to control outcomes. We're trying to just do it in our own strength as if somehow God was like, man, I sure am glad you guys are trying to fix all this because I just didn't know what to do. Sure, I'm glad you guys are trying to manipulate this person to do this or to do that or to force them to do this or do that because, man, I, I was thinking they were hard-headed and I just couldn't get through to them. So, man, I'm glad I got you on my team. You see, that's not how this thing works. We have to spend less time trying to control things and there's people in your life and it breaks our heart, man, right? It breaks our heart when you know somebody that doesn't know the Lord, when you're married to somebody that doesn't know the Lord, when one of your kids doesn't know the Lord, when your parents don't know the Lord when your when your friends don't know the Lord like it, it it hurts your heart but you cannot try to force them to have their heart changed because that's not how heart change works you have to present the gospel you have to pray you have to model but you ultimately have to trust in the power of God not your ability not what you can do in your own strength because no matter how sharp you think you are no matter how well you think you can articulate this or that, you do not hold the power to change someone's life. That is a heart thing. And the surgeon, the great physician, is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who, as Ezekiel prophesied, takes out the stony heart and puts in that soft heart of flesh. And I have to trust in his power. And maybe God uses something that is said, or God uses something that, that, that is a part of something, but I'm not trusting in those things or trying to create that outcome. I'm praying, I'm depending on him. And I'm going to be consistent, and I'm going to be faithful, amen? It's what I have to do. This means our example of pursuing God matters so much. Oh, let me say that again, because only three people heard that. That means our example of pursuing God matters. It is our responsibility towards those we are discipling 
because we cannot delegate our responsibility to disciple people to external things. Let me just get real with you. Okay, I will. (laughs) You cannot delegate the responsibility to disciple your children to the church or to the school. I'm glad three or four people agree with that. Like, I, I want you to hear this today. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Partnership. You have to look at the church and you have to look at a Christian school or Christian entity as a partnership. It's great. Those things can partner with you. That's why they're good. They're good things, man. I'm not against them. Like, I've sent my kids to Christian school before. Like, it's not a bad thing. I, I, my kids, it's, they come to church. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing. But it's a partnership. It's not in lieu of me discipling them because ultimately it's my job. It's my responsibility as their father to disciple them. That's my role. And I have to take that seriously. And I can't delegate that to someone else because I feel ill-equipped. Because Peter says, we've all got the same nature. We've all got the same power. We've all got the same stuff here. Well, yeah, but I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary. He said, we've all got the same stuff. We all have the same opportunity. We all have the same responsibility. We all have the same divine nature that's on the inside of us he said there we're, we're, we're all in this together guys it's not like some of you guys are up here and some of you guys are down here that's not how god looks at things and so we have to start taking our responsibility to disciple and invest in the next generation more seriously and stop offloading it to external things that's the cowardly way to go And that's what the enemy would love to do. The enemy would love to make you as a parent or a grandparent feel like you just don't have what it takes to be able to show Jesus to your kids or your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews or your neighbors or your friends. He wants to intimidate you and make you feel like you somehow aren't good enough and you can't somehow share the gospel with them and you somehow can't model a heart pursuing God to them because you just don't do it as good as someone else. And so you're trusting in someone else to do it and we're losing a generation in the process. We're not building bridges. We're building boats to ship people off to different directions and the next generation is drowning because they're looking for us to show them what it means to pursue God. And guess what that means? It means you show them you're not perfect because they already know. They just don't know that if you know it. They're not sure if you know it. So they're just kind of like, I'm not going to say anything. Because none of us are pursuing God perfectly. None of us. I'm not pursuing God perfectly. I struggle with things, man. You struggle with things. There's times I wake up, I don't want to pray. I don't want to pursue God. I don't want to be nice to my family or my wife. There's days I feel bad. There's days I'm a jerk. There's days I struggle with depression. There's days I struggle with anger. And I respond just like you do when that person cuts me off in traffic. I'm no better. We all have problems. We all have issues. We all have things that we're asking God to help us grow in. 
We all are pursuing him. So here's what you do to the people who are watching you. You show them what someone who pursues God looks like because I repent. I ask for forgiveness. I still am trying to grow. I'm not satisfied with how I was yesterday because I want to grow in glorifying God more today because he's given me his nature. He's given me his power and I have the ability through Christ to live a life that glorifies God. And so model that, model your pursuit, invite them in, invite the next generation in with you in your pursuit of God. Invite your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, invite your friends, invite your kids, invite your spouse into that. We got to get over this being embarrassed to pray in front of our kids out loud. We got to get over this being embarrassed to pray in front of our spouse and over our spouse out loud. We've got to move past that stuff because there's a generation that needs someone to show them what it looks like to pursue God. We have to push past discomfort. We have to do this stuff on purpose and stop delegating it to other people and crossing our fingers and hoping that it all works out. If we do that, we're missing our responsibility. And I'm calling you higher through the scripture today to call you higher to take on that mantle of responsibility and stop delegating it. Stop advocating yourself of responsibility because the strength of the bridges we build beyond us will be determined on how serious we pursue living holy unto God. We want to build bridges to the next generation. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Beyond our lifetime. I just think that you guys should like, you know, if I wrote a book beyond our lifetime, I'd, I'd be like this on the cover. There'd be clouds in the background. <laughs> and it sounds all nice, doesn't it? It sounds nice, right? And it sounds spiritual. Ooh, it sounds spiritual. But the strength of it, if we really actually want to do it and not just talk about it, not just write books about it, not just do series about it, not just drink coffee with it printed on there, if we want to actually do it, the strength of the bridges that we build is going to be determined on how serious we take living holy unto God. You know what holy means? It doesn't mean just behaving well. It's not behavior modification. It's not this idea of us just trying to be a good moral society because even people who don't have God in their life still want to pursue morality. Everybody thinks that we should you know, not do certain things and we should do other things. They don't need God to show them that because they, they, they have this peace on them that they feel like they, they, they got that figured out without him. And so that's where people reject God as they think I'm a good person. All right? That's, that's what you hear. Most people that are rejecting the message of the gospel say they think I'm a good person. So they don't need the good person speech. They think they're already there. Even though they don't realize that none of us are good and the only thing good in us is Jesus. But that's another sermon for another day. The difference is not whether or not we're pursuing morality. The difference is, am I living holy unto God? What does that mean? It doesn't mean morality. That's a piece of it, sure. Morality is encompassed in that word holy, but ultimately that word holy means set apart. I'm living set apart, so what does that mean? It means I'm living my life with a different set of values, with a different set of priorities. I'm seeing the world much different. I'm seeing people much different. My worldview is being shaped by the gospel. The way I see other people, the way I see my struggles, the way I see the struggles of the world, the way I see everything that's happening around me, to me, all of that stuff begins to now be seen through a different lens. So therefore, I am called to live through that 
that new lens, that new priority system, holy, separate, because the world doesn't value things that way. See, the world wants to be first. Look at me. And actually, Jesus says, no, the, the first is going to be last. The last will be first. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, not try to be a self-promoter. You see, there's a difference in the value system of heaven. So now, because there's a difference in the value system of heaven, what that does is it makes me see my life differently. It makes me look at my brothers and sisters in Christ differently. It makes me want to serve differently. It makes me respond differently. Because, man, before you were in Christ, you responded the way everybody thought you should respond to certain things. And everyone would say things like, well, you don't blame him. I'd do it if I were him, you know, or whatever, right? Because if someone does this to you, you do this back. And that's the way the world responds. And no one checks up. No one questions that. But when you're a Christ follower, now all of a sudden, something happens to you and you respond very differently. And everybody goes, that's different. That's right, because I'm set apart. I'm not responding the way I used to respond. You see things that happen to me, things that happen around me, and I'm growing in that because I'm being sanctified. My mind is being renewed. I'm being transformed, as Romans 12 and 1 says, that I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind because I'm living my life as a sacrifice unto him. I'm separate. I'm holy. I'm set apart. And we have to catch this, that the strength of the bridges we build is going to be determined on how seriously we pursue living holy unto God. Because we handle things differently than the norm. Holiness means this, all right? And it's, I want you to catch this. Write this stuff down, man. Holiness means we have a different starting point when it comes to living out truth. Where you start from matters a lot. Because a lot of people, they try to start with a certain issue or a certain scenario. And they try to attack that one thing, but... If you really go back to the heart issue of where someone starts, that's really going to show you where their heart is aligned. And so if we start with Scripture, that's why at BCC we say we start with Scripture. Because that's got to be our floor, that's got to be our starting point, that's got to be our foundation. Jesus even gave the illustration of a wise man building his house upon something solid, upon a rock. Because there's going to be a lot of things come and try to attack your, your view, your belief, your faith. And he says, when those storms come, man, if you built your house upon the rock, you're going to be able to stand. That house is going to be able to stand. And so I want to make sure that we're building our house upon something that's solid, and that's the truth of the Word of God. It's the truth of the foundation of the revelation of Jesus Christ as being the promise of God fulfilled, being the one who has come to make all things new. And now we are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. The new things have come, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? It's different now for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me, right? It's this idea of, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, set apart. This is your reasonable act of worship. This is your reasonable act of service. It's this idea of now I'm understanding more and more what it means to live in Christ and be in Christ. It's not just about coming to church on a Sunday morning, right? Most people's hopes is that their kids just follow in their footsteps of just attending church, you know? Oh, I just hope my kids, when I'm gone from this earth, I just hope they attend church. Well, that's great and all, but I hope that they actually serve for God and live for God. And yeah, if they do that, then they will want to not forsake assembling with other believers. Okay, good. 
but be a part of the body in that way, to worship with other people. But my goal is just not to get my kid to park their car somewhere for an hour once a week when I'm dead. My goal is for them to live unto the glory of God by pursuing God because I showed them how. I showed them what it looked like. I modeled it for them, and I didn't model it perfectly, and I haven't modeled it perfectly, but I still want to show them what it looks like to pursue the heart of God. If we want to build bridges for the next generation, if we want to see eternity impacted beyond our lifetime, it starts with us taking the things of God seriously and pursuing God more seriously than we have. You see, holiness means we have a different reaction different response than someone who's cut off from God's nature and God's power. Holiness means we make intentional different choices. Holiness means we have different rhythms because our aim is to please God. We keep striving to grow in these areas and modeling these things because here's our big idea. The most impactful way to invest beyond our lifetime is to teach and model a heart that is pursuing to know and live for God more that's the most impactful way the most impactful way for us to invest beyond our lifetime is to teach and model a heart that's pursuing to know and live for god more so my prayer today for us is that we realize We have a responsibility. And we don't, and even that's tricky. Because we don't just pursue God just because we have a responsibility. That's not right either. We pursue God because we love Him. And He loves us. And we realize in our pursuit of God, we have a responsibility. Because the more I pursue him, I I look at those who are following behind me. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Am I your priority? Like, am am, am I really your all in all? Or is it just a hymn that you sing, right? Am I really Christ alone, your cornerstone, you know? Or is it just a song that makes you cry a little bit, you know? Gives you the goosebumps. Is that all it is, or or is he really your cornerstone, right? Are you really pursuing him? You know, oh man, trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not to our own understanding. Acknowledge him in all our ways, and he'll direct our paths. Is that just another scripture that we say that looks good on something we bought at Hobby Lobby that's hanging in our kitchen? Or do we really believe this stuff? Are we trusting in just the signs we've hung in our home, the family Bible sitting on the table, the church attendance, all those things. Are we just trusting in those things to go, yeah, we have a Christian environment in our home? No. Is your heart pursuing the heart of God? Are you seeking to know Him more? Are you seeking to know how to glorify Him more and live unto His glory? Are you seeking to make sure others understand this free gift of the gospel? Are we making sure those closest to us understand what it means to pursue God? Church starts with Scripture. Open up the Bible somewhere and start spending time with someone that God has given you charge to disciple. 
start spending time, show them how to read the scripture. Let them see you read the scripture. Teach them how to pray. Well, I'm not very eloquent with my prayers. Like sometimes I hear people on stage at church pray and I'm intimidated. (laughs) Start where you're at. Amen? Amen? Start where you're at. If you bumble your way through it, it's okay. When the disciples said, Jesus, we don't know how to pray like you. He said, okay, here's how you do it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you don't know where to start, church, start with the Lord's prayer. He gave you a model. Take away the excuses for why you're not discipling and you're not more involved and more invested. Because I don't want us to, it it to be said of us that a generation rose up after all these people who spent millions of dollars on buildings and programs and conferences and youth events and you know I'm a 90's youth group kid you know right all the stuff we spent money on all the stuff we invested in and a generation rose up that did not know the Lord I don't want that to be said of us I don't want that to be said of Bridge Cities Church I don't want that to be said of our quad cities that we love and God's called us to. So it's going to take us living with a greater degree of intentionality than we have. And so God help us. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. And I'm going to join right there with you, man. Let's take a minute and not allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And if you need to repent, repent. If you need to confess, Lord, I've been trusting in the wrong things. I have not been setting the tone. And if you're a newer person here and you don't know Jesus or if you've been coming for a while and checking things out, today is the day for you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. I truly believe that. You've seen people share their testimonies of how God has transformed their life and they wanted to go public with their faith through water baptism and saying, I'm marked with Jesus. Maybe today is a day for you to say, yeah, I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Christ and be unashamed. Jesus, I need you. So can we just take a minute, Lord? Lord, we repent before you for where we have gotten so self-absorbed, for where we've missed the mark, for where we've made it about us for where we've trusted in other things to do the job of discipleship for us. Lord, we only want to trust in you. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to remember our first love, to be in awe of the gift that you've given us so graciously. We who were once enemies, who were strangers, who were foreigners, who were cut off, from your family now can be called sons and daughters. Lord, let us not forget the gospel. Let us not forget your mercy towards us. Let us not forget your grace that have given us what we did not deserve, what we did not earn, what we could never qualify ourselves for. But it's only you and you alone, Jesus. Let us be in awe of that. May the gospel stir in awe in us. May the gospel bring us to a place of repentance. May the gospel bring us to a place 
of fervently and passionately pursuing you, Lord, and living under your glory, being obedient to the things you've put in front of us right now, the steps you've called us to right now, the opportunities in front of us right now. Lord, we repent before you, not just to say we're sorry, not just to ask for forgiveness, but to truly turn our hearts towards you, to turn away from our selfishness and to turn towards you. Lord, we need you. Would you strengthen your church again? Would you stir us up again by reminding us of who we are and whose we are? Remind us that we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We are redeemed. Remind us that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Remind us that we are sons and daughters. Remind us, Lord, we pray that you would stir in us, God, hunger and thirst after you. As the psalmist says, as the deer pant for the water, so our soul longs after you. Help us to long for you by revealing, Lord, to us just another level of how the gospel has impacted us, another way, another new perspective. Oh, Lord, help us to just continue to see your beauty, your love, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is going to be up here at the end of service. Our prayer team is going to be available just to minister to you, just by praying for you, whatever you got going on. But especially, listen to me, especially if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, or if you just don't know what, what that means to place your faith and trust in Christ. Because we've got people, mentors who are on standby. They've been trained, equipped. They're ready to help you answer questions. They're ready to pray with you. And if you need someone to connect with you or you want someone to pray with you, man, we'll put you in touch with somebody today to be able to help you do that. I don't want you to think, oh, I put my faith in Christ and now you're just kind of hanging out. What do I do next? Let one of our prayer team members know and we'll help you get connected. We want to keep you just plugged in to pursuing the heart of God and just help guide you, partner with you in that. Help minister to you, disciple you through it. Before we go, let's say the Great Commission together, church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless you, Bridge Cities Church. Have an awesome Sunday.